In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the man, but of God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Grace. And thank you all again for being here on this first Sunday of the new year. I think this is my favorite time of the year, despite the particularly bitter cold this year. The reason I love this time of year is because there seems to be a special spiritual hunger that people have, greater openness to, um, to seeking God, seeking to know Him better and love Him more. And with that in mind, there is one spiritual practice that I want to strongly recommend for you at the start of this new year, and that is the practice of daily reading studying and meditating on God's Word, which we believe is found in Scripture, the Bible. To help you with that, uh, we've got Bible reading plans at our Welcome Center. I, I like this particular Discipleship Journal Bible reading plan because it gives you a little margin. As you read through the Bible every year, if you miss a day or two, there's some makeup days every month, but it'll take you through the the entire Old and New Testament every year. So, excuse me, I highly recommend those. Now, speaking of Bibles, we have an abundance of them in the United States of America, don't we? I was reminded of that this past week when I got in the mail the CBD Bible catalog. And there were dozens, perhaps hundreds, of varieties of different Bibles. And keep in mind, they all say the same thing. They're just marketed differently. And I opened the catalog, and one of the first ones that struck me was, I think you'll see the cover on the screen, was the New King James Version Sportsman's Large Print Compact Bible. And the ad reads, this is a rugged go-anywhere edition that will help you face the challenges of life before, during, and after the hunt. So every hunter's got to have this Bible. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there was the NIV Curious Kittens Bible. Yes, that's really a Bible. And the ad reads, this one's for young kitten lovers, and this charming Bible is sure to be the cat's meow for your young Bible reader. For young girls, fifth grade, sixth grade, they're promoting the NIV Sequin Bible. And the ad reads, add a little sparkle and shine to your girl's Bible study. Embellished with sequence and glitter, this edition helps tweens express their style wherever they go. Isn't that what you need your Bible for, to help you express your style wherever you go? And then my, my favorite, not really favorite, but I thought the most interesting one this year, 
by the way, last year I thought the most interesting one, if you were here when we shared these, was the Duck Commander Bible. That one apparently dropped out of the winter catalog this year. But this year, uh, replacing it is the ICB Cupcake Bible. Yes, it's a cupcake Bible, and the, the ad reads, What kid can resist cupcakes in this sweet edition of Scripture? Only in America. Only in America. We get emails from people all over the world wanting us to provide money so they can have Bibles. We've sure got an abundance here. On a serious note, though, I want to urge you toward reading the Bible this year. And if you don't have a copy, we always have free copies of the Bible to give away. Now, it's not going to be like one of the ones on the screen. We've got the plain vanilla scripture, the word of God only that we'll give you at the Resource Center along with the Bible reading plans. And I highly, highly recommend that to you at the beginning of this new year. This month, our focus is going to be on what the Bible teaches us about being witnesses for Jesus Christ. I'd like to begin reading in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. You'll see the words on the screen. And we read, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Let me pause there and say, the book of Acts was written by Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. That's why he begins this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke. All that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And after staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, here and far beyond. What does the Bible teach us about what it means to be witnesses for Jesus? The word witness, as you'll see on the screen, comes from the Greek word we could pronounce martus, martes, and it simply refers to one who confirms or testifies to something from firsthand experience, like a witness in a, in a courtroom might uh, serve to do. You, you see the, the Greek word has obvious similarity to our word for martyr or martyrdom, and that is because over time uh, the, the word for witness became almost synonymous for being a martyr. It was first used in the book of Acts chapter 22 and verse 20 this way, when the apostle Paul is sharing how, uh, speaking to God, uh, when your servant, when your witness Stephen was killed, I was standing by when his blood was shed. And so the, the word witness almost became synonymous with martyrdom. But the real Meaning of the word is, is one who testifies or confirms from firsthand experience. 
Now, what does Jesus mean when he says we'll be witnesses when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us? I think from, from his words and the further teaching of the New Testament, we could define witnesses this way. Empowered followers of Jesus who are sent to show and share the gospel. Let's try to break that definition down into its parts just for a moment. Witnesses are first empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not a seminary degree that makes a person a witness. It's not a certain level of biblical knowledge. It is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. I've known some people who, who had come to faith and, and been a Christian for, for only one day who were already effectively sharing their faith. Now that wasn't because they'd acquired very much biblical knowledge at all, but because the Holy Spirit was using them. It's the Holy Spirit who makes one a witness. So if you feel like you could never influence someone by the light of your life or the words of your testimony because you don't have an, enough knowledge, that's not the case. It's the Holy Spirit who enables and empowers our witness. So witnesses are first empowered by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, witnesses are sent people. We're people who are sent by Jesus. In the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible, in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father in heaven. And he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now we might think, he's probably just praying for his, his original 12 disciples. But he goes on in the prayer to say, I pray not for these only, but also all of those who will believe in me through their words. And I think we can understand Jesus' prayer request in this prayer to be for all believers in all time. Later, the Apostle Paul would note that in order for anyone to proclaim the gospel, they must first be sent. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, I wonder if you have ever embraced your identity as a sent representative of Jesus Christ. Because the teaching of the New Testament is really that all followers of Jesus are sent into this world. Sent to do what? Sent both to show and to share the gospel. We show the gospel by the way we live in the world by the way we represent Jesus, by the light of our lives. Jesus said of himself, I'm the light of the world, but he also said to his followers, you're the light of the world. And I think he means by that, we demonstrate the light, love, life of God in the world around us. And then further, we share the message of the gospel by the, the words of God given us in Scripture. That is, we verbally share the gospel. Now, next Sunday, we're going to look at what it means to be a witness by word and how we can actually share the message of the gospel with someone, whether it's someone in our own family or someone we, we work with. But today, I'd like to focus on what it means to be a representative, a witness for Jesus by the way we live, by the light of our lives. And I think first we need to understand, based on the passage that... Uh, Grace read for us a moment ago, which by the way, if you were here at the beginning, was the same chapter that uh, young 
little Emma quoted when she first came up and quoted from John chapter 1. We understand from that passage that Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the true light who enlightens those in spiritual darkness. We read in, we, we read in verse 9 of that passage, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And that's a reference to Jesus, to Christ. Jesus later said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Well, I think it means at least two things. Number one, he brings light that reveals human need. It reveals our sin, as we see in that passage one who follows Jesus doesn't walk in darkness but has the light of life. But further, he reveals our salvation. Jesus doesn't come into the world to show us our need and then leave us hopeless. Jesus in his death on the cross provided the remedy for our sin. He took our place. He bore our judgment. He bore the just penalty for our sin on the cross himself and he he invites us into eternal life by embracing what he's done by faith. So Jesus is the true light. But Jesus also taught that his followers were now to be the light of the world, to demonstrate his light. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, his words come from Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount. And the crowd was listening to him on the hillside along with his disciples. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What's Jesus saying? He would go to the cross, he would die, he'd be raised from the dead, and he'd ascend up to heaven, he'd be gone. But he leaves his followers here to be the light of the world. And he says, our light is not to be hidden. It's to be lived out in the midst of the world in which we live, and it's to have an influence. Because when people see the difference in our lives, it's, it's like we're a mirror that's reflecting glory back to our Father who's in heaven. We get a little more insight into what this means with some words from the Apostle Paul, where he teaches us that our light shines when our, our lives are being shaped by what he calls the word of life. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church when he gives some really, really practical advice, advice that I have found I've needed in my life many times. Maybe you'll find that too. He wrote, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Have you ever worked in an environment where there was an atmosphere of negativity, of complaining, of griping, 
and grumbling and noticed how contagious that is. When I first got out of college, I was a uh, sales rep for a company here in Winston-Salem. I was so excited my first day to go to work. I thought I was, I was going to work hard. I was going to do well. I was going to really succeed at this. I was so excited. And to my discouragement, I landed in an office where there was a good deal of this. Crumbling and complaining and backbiting. It, it was enough to, to quench the zeal of a brand new sales rep. And I struggled with it myself at times. But the Bible says, as followers of Jesus, we're to come into the, the work environment, the home environment, the neighborhood, and we're to shine as lights in the world. And we don't do that when we enter into the grumbling and enter into the complaining. We're to live out our lives in the midst of this world, which Paul says is crooked and twisted, is pretty messed up. But we're the ones who are supposed to shine as lights in the world. And as we do that, he says, we're holding forth the word of life. What does he mean by that? I think he uses the words word of life here to refer to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ as contained in the scripture. And as the gospel shapes our lives, it shapes our witness. And we live differently before the world. This is so very badly needed in our world, particularly in our nation, right now, today. This past week, I read an article in First Things magazine, and the author uh, cited research from the Pew Research Center. And the article had to do with uh, a, a group of people that researchers now call the nuns, that is researchers dealing with religious beliefs. You'll see the data on the screen. The nuns are those who, when surveyed, self-identify as having no religious affiliation. They may have grown up as Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or Catholic, but now they have no church connection and they self-identify as having no religious affiliation. In 1970, in the United States of America, that was 3% of the population. 37 years later, in 2007, it was 16% of the population. But in the 10 years since, that percentage has jumped 9% to 25% of the uh, population now, and it's 40% of those under the age of 30. Why is that happening? Is it because we don't have enough Bibles in the United States of America? As we saw earlier, we, frankly, it seems almost like we've got too many Bibles. If we added up all the Bibles we had in all of our homes, counted them up, it, it, it would be a lot. It would be a lot. Is it because the gospel's not available on all the different kinds of media that we have? No, the gospel is readily available. And there are plenty of churches problem, I think, is that many of these 40% have not seen the light of the world as demonstrated through people who are shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. To the contrary, what many of them have seen is hypocrisy. 
maybe some real outspoken leader talks about his or her faith and then is discovered to do something that's, that's totally contradictory to that. What our, our, our country is desperate for is men and women, students, who will go into the world and live like followers of Jesus, demonstrating His grace and His love, His goodness, and His beauty. We're supposed to be impacting the world. We're supposed to be sent. We're supposed to be witnesses. We're supposed to be light. Now, over the past several months, the elders on our church session, which is our, our might think of as our uh, governing board, the elders on our church session have been meeting, seeking to clarify our mission and values as a church so that we can bear the most fruit that we can possibly bear in the coming years. And we've been asking ourselves, how has God uniquely prepared us and how is God uniquely calling our church to make disciples? We know every church is called to make disciples. Every church is called to fulfill what, what we often refer to as the Great Commission. Jesus' mandate to make disciples. We, we talk about that when we talk about reaching, building, sending. But that's, that's a very broad mandate. should apply to all churches. Is there some way God is uniquely calling us to focus our disciple-making efforts? How can we best glorify God and make disciples? And we think it's by building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. This was Jesus' model for making disciples. And if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels this year, you'll see this. Jesus first calls people to follow him, calls his disciples, and they are with him. And he teaches them both by word and by example. They're with him when he does ministry, preaching and teaching and healing. And then there comes a time when he sends them out, two by two, initially, to go out and do the very same things that he's been doing. Teaching, preaching, healing, ministering to people. Because this is God's way of making disciples. A lot of their spiritual growth, I'm sure, took place when they first went out and were sent out. So we feel we need to focus here more, building followers of Jesus who are, embrace our identity as being sent into this world. Now, you may be here at the beginning of a new year, and you may be thinking, okay, I'm really, really new to church and to the Bible and to the Christian faith, how can I grow to a place of spiritual maturity? How can I grow from where I am to, to being a real light in the world? Somebody whose life is being shaped by, in the words of the Apostle Paul, the word of life. How can I do that? We've tried to simplify and, and clarify this for our church by, by focusing on what we call our discipleship pathway, so that when someone comes into our church, instead of being confused by a menu of 30 or 40 or 50 different things that they might do, we, we want to point them to four steps, four places, four venues 
that you could think of as a spiritual growth map. The first is worshiping together. That's what we're all doing here today. The Bible says we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's a unique way that God works in the gathered corporate worship. But beyond that at our growth, uh, in our spiritual growth, studies have shown that people grow to another level when they engage in study of the Bible and prayer in a group. In fact, over the years, as I've talked to people about their prayer lives, I've come to believe that perhaps the best way to learn how to pray is being with a small group of people where some of the others in the group know how to pray. And you learn from being with them. We grow further by, by serving other people. By serving on a team. And we hope to continue to provide opportunities for everyone that wants to serve to find a place to use your unique spiritual gifts to bless, to serve, to help other people. And then finally, by going out with a mission. Becoming followers of Jesus is not about just coming to church, getting filled with knowledge and serving one another. The cycle of discipleship is not complete until we're going out of the church, into the community, into the world, to serve the poor and needy, to be the light of the world, to bring the truth to the message of the gospel of Jesus. That's what our world needs. Christians who don't just talk the talk, but who walk the walk, and yes, lovingly share the message too. We show the gospel, and we share the gospel. If you decide, if, if, if you're new here and decide to take our new member class, this, this will kind of shape our new member process uh, this year, and you'll learn more about that. But at this point, I'd like to reflect further on what we've said about being the light of the world and raise two questions by way of personal application. The first one is this. Have I received, have I received the true light brought by Jesus in the gospel? The true light, John wrote, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and that was Jesus. And to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you done that? Have you come to the place in your own spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? The way to gain that assurance is by putting trust not in your own efforts to be good enough to work your way to God. None of us can. None of us can. But by, by faith receiving what Jesus did, the one who lived a perfect life and gave his perfect life on the cross as a sacrifice for you and me, the one who died as our substitute, the one who took our place, the one who provides our salvation. Have you received what he's done and received him as your Lord? Have you become his follower? And then secondly, for those who are followers of Jesus, how am I representing Jesus before the world? In my home? Will the people I live with say, yeah, she or he, uh, their life really does demonstrate what I think it's like to be a follower of Jesus. What would your friends say? What about on social media? I'm not talking now about going out and, and putting a bunch of scripture verses and Christian videos on social media. I, I'm talking about how people see you, your character, your life. Are you presenting yourself as somebody who's filled with anger and judgmentalism? 
Always in conflict with someone else? Or is your character showing there? Are you reflecting the light of Jesus there? How about in the workplace? Have you been caught up in the grumbling or disputing? Or are you fulfilling the teaching of Jesus and the Apostle Paul to shine as lights in this world? Would you join me as we pray about that and pray for a work of the Holy Spirit that as we continue this theme throughout the month, God would help us each to more faithfully become lights in the world. Father, we thank you for the word of the gospel, the word of life. We thank you for what you have done for us. And Father, I pray today for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit among us that you would so fill us that we would leave this place and go out not only with the knowledge that we need to be your lights, but the power to be your lights. And if you have never placed your trust in Jesus for your salvation, and you have come to the recognition today that that is your great need, to receive his salvation, to become his follower, to begin a relationship with him, I would invite you to pray using simple words like this. Dear God, I do believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. Lord, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Make me your very own follower this day. Amen.